Welcome to Data Bytes. I'm Susan Wong. And I'm Jesse Chesky Kay. Susan and I are two statisticians in academia, and we want to bring statistics closer to you. We will touch on topics in big data, data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and the list may grow. In this episode, we talk about getting humans to think like machines. And then we talk about some statistical summaries conducted on the Mueller report. Let's get started. Machine learning and artificial intelligence algorithms are, as we know, useful for many tasks, but we also know that they can get confused at times in situations that a human generally would not. For example, an algorithm might classify a small dog as a house cat, a house as a boat, a number seven as a number one. Yeah, hopefully that last one is is a little bit better now. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like with uh, mail sorting, algorithms at the USPS, they're sort of scanning these zip codes, right? Handwritten zip codes. And I think the, the digit recognition problem hopefully is, is better solved now. Yes. <laughs> let's, let's hope. <laughs> so back in a previous episode, episode 16, we, uh, where we discussed the site, this person does not exist.com. There's a method that employed a generative adversarial network, which has really effectively two neural networks that are adversarial to each other. One of the networks generates images and the other assigns a probability that it is real. Um, And so that's called the discriminator network. And in a sense, this kind of algorithm tries to account for how the algorithm might get confused. Yeah, and so with artificial intelligence, the general idea is often to get machines to operate or think like a human. But a recent Nature Communications article that was also mentioned on sciencedaily.com presented some psychology and brain researchers who are looking into if humans can actually think like machines. Actually, I think that's not such an outrageous claim. After all, humans design machines. But in particular, the article is asking whether humans can get fooled as much as AI algorithms. Yeah, in in some sense. I'll explain the experiments, but it seems more that they're trying to see if a human can can intentionally try to think like a machine to get a sense of how the machine is getting fooled. Um, So the authors are Zhenlong Zhao and Chaz Firestone from Johns Hopkins University. And so they phrase the question in this way. So I'm going to, this is a quote here. Could humans decipher such images by predicting the machine's preferred labels? End quote. So they go on to suggest that this could mean some commonality or overlap between how machines and humans quote unquote think, you know, so so to speak, we'll say. Um, They refer to these concepts as a machine theory of mind. I see. So that can be helpful for getting a better understanding of why certain tasks are harder for machines than others. And in in this particular case, which images are harder to classify by machines than others? Yes. Yeah. So that seems to be the goal here. And they ran eight different experiments to carry out this test. Um, The first experiment uses 48 images that were designed specifically to fool um, a convolutional neural network. Um, called the specific network was the AlexNet, which just as a side note, won the ImageNet Challenge in 2012. So it, it's a, a good networking. Yeah, high performing. No, exactly. <laughs> so uh, they had 200 subjects, each view the 48 um, kind of fooling images. So the 48 adversarial images, along with um, the machine selected labels. So each person was shown the image, 
shown the machine selected label and a label that they had randomly selected among the 47 other adversarial images. So the subject didn't know which one the machine had selected. Um, all they saw were two possible labels and the image. And then the subjects were instructed to pick which of the two labels they thought the machine had selected. Huh. I guess how difficult that is will really depend on how similar these 48 images are. Yeah, and um, from what I can tell, the images um, aren't, aren't necessarily very similar. Okay. Uh, some, some might have some similar characteristics, but, um, but they're all um, generated images. So. Got it. How do the humans do? Yeah, um, so the human classification accuracy was 74%. So um, that's in total... Um, 74% of the 74% um, uh, of the images were classified um, by the humans correctly, matching the the computer the machine classification. But they also noted that 98% of the subjects chose the machine classification at above chance rates. So so more than um, for more than half the images, they were um, selecting the the machine label. And so, um, so as you noted, the setup does not seem too challenging given that a random label was provided with a machine label. But in the second experiment, they tried making it a little bit more challenging. So instead of um, having the second possible label being selected at random, they actually chose the machine's second ranked label. So um, if you can imagine the machine, you know, they have their kind of first choice for the label. Um, maybe it has the highest probability, so the one that would have had kind of the next highest probability. Uh, so that definitely does sound harder. The, the choices are sort of closer together than they might have been in the first round. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah, so then in the second experiment, um, there was a 71% accuracy and 91% of the subjects typically selecting, um, with 91% of the subjects were um, typically selecting the machine's first choice label. So they did other experiments, including having the subjects actually choose among all 48 labels. Um, they, they had another experiment where the images all, they, they show some examples in the paper, but they're all basically television static images that um, the machines were classifying as actual things. Wow. Uh, and so, um, so really the images had no real structure. Um, and then they also did images of numbers that have been perturbed. And then they had some other, some other um, examples as well, some other experiments. But in, in all these experiments, the subjects had higher accuracy rates um, and really general agreement with the machine's choice. So, so yeah. what can we conclude from these experiments? It seems the results do support that humans are capable of classifying a variety of types of adversarial images like a machine. Does this matter? <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, so. One of the main points about the paper um, is just, you know, humans can think like a machine. That, that seemed to be what they demonstrated, at least given the types of adversarial images that were provided. Um, there were several possible consequences um, to this. And they suggest that um, this finding could potentially be helpful for using humans to kind of help train machines to not be fooled. Um, that is to say, um, so this was a, now a quote from their paper, um, humans could have a role to play in the loop that generates such images, end quote. And so a, a concern that is mentioned throughout the paper is about how um, at, you know, just adversarial attacks if we um, start having more kind of artificial intelligence kind of built into our everyday lives, 
we, we should really be worried about adversarial attacks. And one example that they give is, you know, suppose um, street signs such as speed limit signs are, are tampered with in some way. Um, could this impact how self-driving cars operate? So like if the speed limit sign is changed from 30 miles per hour to 80 miles per hour, I, I guess I can see that even though signs aren't yet digital, Google Maps or Waze already have speed limits embedded in their digital maps and self-driving cars could easily have access to something like that. Yeah, exactly. So there there could be ways around the um, the self-driving car potential issues. But, um, but yeah, so if there... If there is tampering with things, let's just say like that or, or something related, um, understanding how machines end up responding could be helpful. Um, so this work doesn't answer what to do about it, but it does illustrate that humans do seem capable to understand how a machine could or might get confused, which may lead to methods for stopping such attacks. So we'll have to see if, if this ultimately helps machines classify images in the future. Sounds like a very important problem to keep on our radar. So special counsel Robert Mueller's report investigating President Donald Trump was released on April 18. Many news outlets, late night talk shows, etc. have all jumped in with their takes on what you ought to take away from it. And the report is quite long, 448 pages long, in fact, and heavily redacted. Maybe because it is so long, it just made me feel distrustful of all the recording reporting that was done on it. I feel like this is one of those scenarios where data science should swoop in and save the day, utilize some of the tools with text analysis to give us a complete picture of what's going on, not some cherry-pick sentences from this vast ocean of text. Surely this is a task where machines can help. Yes. This is where text analysis techniques and machine learning prove very helpful. In fact, some of the most popular text analysis techniques aren't even terribly sophisticated. They concentrate on methodical summaries that are both graphical and numeric for text data. So I came across a couple of blogs and Twitter posts that showcase some of these techniques applied to the Mueller report, and we're going to share some of the interesting insights they found. First step before getting into the fun stuff, lots of data cleaning. So much data cleaning. A professional um, PDF document um, may be easy for humans to read, not so easy for machines to parse and tabulate. So step one is turn the PDF report into plain text data. Um, one trick is to apply OCR, which stands for Optical Character Recognition. Um, there are freely available OCR services that exist over the web. Um, you can upload your PDF document and out comes a text file. This is most likely to be successful if the PDF doesn't have any funky formatting. And in this report, we do have a lot of redactions and you can see these. It's almost like somebody took a black marker and just drew over the text. But otherwise, it's pretty squeaky clean. Dustin Miller, one of the data scientists who has planned a series of tutorials on the Mueller report mining, has identified that in some occasions where James Comey is mentioned in the text, the OCR algorithm actually reads corny instead of Comey. So this is something that you'd have to manually fix even after reading in the text data. Yeah, so the cleaning isn't necessarily done once we have the report in plain text format. Depending on the application, there might be a lot more to do than just fixing up the cornies for Comey's. Um, for example, a lot of text analysis revolves around looking at word frequencies, right? So that we can look at these frequencies to figure out the most frequently used words in the document, or maybe get a sense of what words tend to co-occur. That means pairs of words that might occur together. 
So these tasks will definitely involve dicing up the report into its individual words and then possibly combining them, that the words that have maybe the same root or have the same meaning. So just as an example, the word investigate um, is very much the same as the word investigating and investigated. They're all the same thing. Um, and office and offices are basically the same. So we really need to somehow group the things that are the same so that we don't wind up focusing so much on tense. So this process is called lemmatization. So what are some of the um, most commonly used words in the report? So I'm going to just go through a number of um, results by different data scientists. This one, I might butcher the name, um, is a contribution by data scientists named Garrick Aiden. Bui. Um, and from his results, he showed that the number one top word that appeared, you know what, it's not surprising, it's the word president. But if you look down this list by order of decreasing frequency, we then have Russia, Trump, campaign, Cohen, Flynn, council, Comey, investigation, and so on. Okay, so so not too informative. Uh, we kind of need to have some more context. Yeah, absolutely. So PhD student Josephine Lukito at the University of Wisconsin-Madison did a different kind of bar plot um, where she's really focusing in on verbs that are used in sentences where Trump is the subject. So the report basically, um, you can dice it up into looking at what the report claims Trump did. So in this plot, where we focus on the verbs that follow Trump um, in decreasing order of occurrence, were be, say, tell, have, call, ask, travel, state, etc. And tweet, of course, is in there as well. <laughs> That's funny. He does tweet a lot. <laughs> yep. And next we have um, another PhD student named Rich Paulu from UC Davis. Um, he did some sentiment analysis on the report. So this is a, a sort of um, way of, in which we can tag certain words as being positive or negative. So the word fraud, for example, might have a negative connotation, while motivate might be positive. So imagine sort of scanning through the entire document and tag a sentiment with every such word that's actually not neutral in meaning. The word the might be a little hard for us to tag as being positive or negative. But if we look at all the words that express some kind of sentiment, and then we use sort of a aggregate score for sentiment, you can get a pretty good sense of um, how positive or how negative the entire report was. So what Palu found is that the report was generally negative. Yeah, I, I guess I don't think that's um, too surprising. I, I don't imagine there are many special counsel reports that are for situations that would be described with many positive words. Um, but okay, so what are some words that contributed to this largely negative sentiment? Some of the most frequently occurring negative words here were harm, obstruction, criminal, false, interference, stolen. On the flip side, of course, there were also positive words. These were intelligence, support, grand, loyalty, pardon, respect, and consistent. So to play devil's advocate, it seems like sentiment analysis could be somewhat flawed here. Um, because Mueller was tasked to look for evidence of obstruction of justice, it's likely that the word obstruction came up a lot. Likewise, you know, appearance of the word you know, intelligence can, uh, can actually appear in different types of sentences, like you know, per intelligence report from the CIA, rather than speaking about the intelligence of any of the individuals involved. 
That's absolutely true. In fact, there are so many sort of things that are not so easy about sentiment analysis because sometimes you could have a negation clause in there, right? Maybe instead of saying someone is intelligent, you say not intelligent. Right. And how does that add up to the sentiment score? Yes. So plenty of caveats to bear in mind. Um, we did also mention another data scientist named Dustin Miller, um, who's really writing out kind of a long war and peace exposition on his analysis of the Mueller report. It might wind up being longer than the Mueller report itself. Uh, well done. Um, but anyway, um, he's got sort of a different approach that's worth mentioning. He starts out by looking at something called named entity recognition or abbreviated NER. The idea is that as we dice up the words and see what they mean, we should also be aware of what role each word plays in a sentence. And NER tools can help us flag specific things in a sentence, such as people, countries, buildings, organizations, dates, and so on. So if we flag all the people in the report, we can then look at which individuals were mentioned the most in the report. And um, was it Donald Trump himself topping the list? Surprisingly not. In fact, the most frequently appearing individuals in the report are Michael Cohen, James Comey, and Michael Flynn. And of course, the NER can also identify subjects, verbs, and objects in the report. And so this is kind of bringing it back to the previous analysis that we talked about where someone looked at Trump plus verb frequencies. Um, in, in this one, Miller actually considers looking at triplet sets consisting of subject, verb, object. So three things that could appear and then tabulating the occurrence of these things. And the most frequently appearing such triplet is investigation identify evidence. Ah, so it seems ample evidence is presented in the report. Uh, I guess we don't necessarily know what it's evidence for, but but there is something. Yep, so it's not just like what Barr says, that there's no evidence of anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did say most frequently appearing, but really this... Uh, fragment of a sentence really appeared just 15 times. So uh, it is a bit of awkward phrasing as well, if we think about it, investigation, identify evidence. So this is probably after limitization has removed the different forms of the identify word, could have been like identifies or, or something different. Um, but anyway, if we were to scan through the rest of this list of triplets that are most frequently occurring, mostly it just looks like X told Y. So X tells Y, X met with Y, so things like that. Um, yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like he said, she said at this point. Not very interesting. But finally, where Miller ends with part one of his report on the report is a look at a timeline of the dates flagged in Mueller's findings. So what he does is um, he shows the sentences containing the dates in the report next to um, Trump's Twitter feed. So it's kind of a side-by-side -side juxtaposition. It's potentially interesting because you can look at what reportedly happened per witnesses on a particular day, and then what Trump tweeted on that day to see if we can line things up and find something, something underneath the hood that's not immediately obvious. So if you guys take a look at this report, we'll link it. Um, it winds up being a ton of text to wade through. I didn't read it too closely, but for example, um, the report says that on January 3rd, 2017, Flynn met with Trump to talk about Russians' reaction to sanctions. The very next day, Trump tweets about an intelligence briefing on so-called Russian hacking was delayed until Friday. Perhaps more time needed to build a case. Very strange. <laughs> <laughs> well, um of course, uh, we'll of course link 
all of our, our sources here. Um, the, the number of such text analyses is surely to grow, though, um, beyond what was available at the time of recording this episode. So be sure to do some digging on your own to get the latest. And Jesse, what's most interesting to me is that a lot of these analyses seem to have first made their appearance on Twitter. These data scientists seem to have inspired each other to keep the analysis going. They would do something quick, share it as an image on Twitter, that gets shared, forwarded, retweeted, and then someone else would jump in with a new idea. So if you search hashtag rstats, Mueller, on Twitter, those are two separate terms, you might get some really neat stuff. Thanks for listening to Data Bytes. If you have any questions or suggestions or comments for us, please email us at databytes.podcast at gmail.com. That's databytes with a Y. And if you want to see the numerous articles that served as reference material for today's show, please visit our website at databytespodcast.github.io. Till next time.